Hey everyone, welcome to The Totally Well Show. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. The Totally Well Show is a place where we get curious, ask questions, and explore everything to do with health, wellness, fitness, personal development, helping people, and all the things it takes to help you live a strong, joyous life. My guest is Dr. Deborah Kimless. She is a medical doctor, anesthesiologist, and um, I'm going to read to you um, what she has written on her LinkedIn so that you get a, a really good feel for what she's all about. And today we talk about CBD, but in a certain very specific context. So uh, Dr. Kimless writes, I'm passionate about educating physicians, patients, and the public to destigmatize cannabis so they understand that it is a real, safe, and effective medical therapeutic choice. Building on my background as a board boarded anesthesiologist with subspecialty certification in pain medicine, I have spent the last several years immersed in all aspects of medical cannabis. In addition, I recently became board certified in lifestyle medicine, a specialty which I have been practicing for over 10 years. Focusing on scientific and medical applications for the treatment of patients, I have traveled the world to present my case studies and clinical trials, including in Israel and the Netherlands, two countries with best practice models for medical cannabis. I love sharing my knowledge through speaking to influencers about the endocannabinoid system, medical applications of cannabis, methods of administration, and why it matters, as well as cannabis as a harm reduction tool. I have firsthand experience successfully treating patients with a variety of medical conditions using an individualized treatment plan, including diet change and combined with cannabis. So that's a bit about Dr. Kimless, Dr. Deborah Kimless, and um, I'm sure we're going to have more episodes because she is such a wealth of knowledge and a great resource for me. She's really helped me to understand the uh, the integration of new, whole food nutrition with this medical treatment, with cannabis as a, as a medical treatment, and how important it is for us to destigmatize um, the the use of of cannabis and even the word with all the slang terms that we use. And um, growing up like my age, it was, you know, called all kinds of things other than cannabis and what it was. And there's a lot of politics that go into that and stuff we won't get into today. We kind of touch on it in the show. But all that said, I can't wait to introduce you now to Dr. Deborah Kimless and uh, stay tuned for more episodes. I hope to get her on as a guest again. And um, and also encourage other people to um, help her spread the word so that we can destigmatize cannabis and really study it and learn how we can use it as a medication. Um, enjoy the show. Hey, Dr. Kimless, it's so nice to see you today. Thank you so much, Joyce, for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really excited to uh, start our conversation. Yes. Um, we t we preambled a little bit. We talked um, on the phone the other day about CBD, and that's how I learned about you. Um, and I was really surprised to hear that there's so much more uh, to you and why you got into CBD in the first place. So I was wondering if we we could start there with you know, telling telling my viewers a little bit about you, what where you were, and how and how you moved into an interest in CBD. And okay. So I'm a physician by training and debt, and uh, 
I'm a board certified anesthesiologist, pain medicine specialist, and now lifestyle medicine. And throughout my multiple years of study, internships, residency, and tens of thousands of CME hours, I never learned about a lot of things, including cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. I never learned about the endocannabinoid system. I never learned about proper nutrition. Mm -hmm. I never learned about a whole host of things. And so in 2005, I started to start questioning um, what we've learned, what was the rationale behind our education, Mm -hmm. and what was missing. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I started trying to figure out about nutrition Mm -hmm. and about lifestyle and how actually that is a huge, important factor that most of us are missing as a foundation for health. Did you have something happen with you in your life, your own personal life that got you interested in or questioning nutrition? And So when I was 13 years old, I started questioning what we were eating because I just didn't feel good. You know, I wasn't heavy. I didn't have a disease process, but I felt like, gosh, at 13, I should have energy and vigor and run around. And I just felt like I could sleep a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And my mom and dad were marketed to, according to eating, Mm -hmm. and we did a lot of fast food and a lot of animal products and a lot of processed products. Um, And I just wasn't feeling right. And so I actually went to this thing called a library and (laughs) I started doing research about nutrition and understanding how diet and movement and meditation and things could be helpful. But it really wasn't clear, especially at 13 and pre-internet and, and didn't have my own money, how to do this. So my, my rebellion of, of sorts in, <laughs> when I was 13 was I stopped eating refined sugar and red meat, which yeah. was huge in my family. That's what we survived on. So it was a very interesting challenge. And I kept studying and thought that I would actually pursue something like this in medicine My life, like everybody else's, you know, takes its twists and turns. And I went into anesthesiology instead of uh, nutrition, um, which was fine because it gave me a foundation for understanding a whole host of other physiologic issues. But in 2005, I thought I knew it all. I thought, gosh, I don't eat refined carbohydrates and I exercise and sometimes I sleep and whatever. And I ended up with a diagnosis of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And my dad had his chest cracked with a quintuple bypass. Mm -hmm. And other people in my family were getting weird autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of young and we were kind of active. And even though some of us were related, most of us weren't, except by marriage or whatever. And I'm like, but we are related by what we're eating. Yeah. And so that's when I did my other deep dive this time on the internet, thankfully, and found a whole host of these whole plant, they call it plant-based, but I call it all plant, no added oil, no processed food um, physicians mm-hmm. and, and researchers. Mm-hmm. And the research actually is out there since the 60s. Wow. And yet government has done a lovely job of sort of um, keeping that stuff hidden from common access. And what do you think I, that is? 
what, why do you think the government's doing that? Because I think that the government um, is supporting different food things like the women and infants and children, the WIC program. If you look at what the foods are, it's milk and cheese and dairy, which is all highly toxic and poisonous. I was on the WIC program many years ago. What's that? I was on the WIC program many yeah. years ago. And so did you, you know, see know. those types of foods, right? Yeah, I didn't know better then, yeah. No, nobody does. We were, tra- I mean, think about what we were trained. You're a nurse, I'm a doctor. Think about every nutrition course that we've ever t- learned. It was usually about, on a cellular level, how these micronutrients interact within a cell, but nobody steps back and goes, wait a minute, we're more than just single cell organisms. We actually have to eat. Yeah. How do we do this? What does this mean, this food? And it's interesting because culturally, we are fed by the people that love us the most, right? Our moms and our dads and our grandparents and family members. And they learn how to eat through culture, mm-hmm. which is like hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. But food technologies have rapidly advanced, even though it's a hundreds of years and we're mere mortals and we don't look at that as a, a, a short period of time, but evolutionarily, you know, it really is a blink of an eye. Yeah. And our bodies just haven't figured out how to adjust to this rapid advancement in this food technology. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Crisco that comes in a can mm-hmm. is 108 years old or 109 years old. Yeah. So that's embedded in our culture or many people's cultures. Yeah. And it's okay to use that. It was made for shelf stability, period. It wasn't made for the benefit of our and the health of our bodies, mm-hmm. right? So it was, it, it was a huge eye-opening, head-rocking um, realization when I found this out. It, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean that I had many sleepless nights going, holy smokes, Mm-hmm. What I've done to my family, what I've done to myself, what I've done with educating patients. Yeah. You know, my word matters. I've yeah. got, you know, powerful initials behind my name and I, I took it really seriously. And when I discovered that this was not accurate information, mm-hmm. that perhaps it was being um, promoted by people who are lining their pockets financially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I was destroyed really yeah. so I, I struggle with that because the more I know the less I feel I know you know just you and I having this conversation the other day and then I'm like oh I've got to pivot again I've got to keep sh-, and I'm just taking it I'm just like accepting it now that I'm going to do day to day the best I can and be willing to have an open mind and shift and say I used to think this but now th- right. yeah and as information evolves yeah like you know we just aren't given, you know, brilliance, things evolve over time. And what we believed was true, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, maybe not so much now. But even if you look at 50 years ago, 100 years ago, people didn't eat the way we do now. They don't overconsume animal products and dairy. So even if they did have a little bit of those products, it wasn't 98% of their dietary intake every day like it is now. Right, right. Even the timing. I've been seeing a lot of people posting about time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, like it was just invented. 
Right. <laughs> oh, no, that's what we did when we were foraging, right? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have time to sit down for three huge meals a day. Right. right? Yeah, we had priorities. We needed to get shelter. We needed to count all our children, make sure they were all there and nobody got eaten last night. That's right. Make sure the woolly mammoth didn't stomp on us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when so I actually started helping patients get healthy mm-hmm. with diet change alone. Right. So whole food, all plant, no added oil, no processed food diet. Mm-hmm. And, and the results were remarkable. They really No were. animal protein at all? No animal protein. We were not, we're not carnivores. Mm-hmm. Animal protein really is about a plan B. So if you're stuck in the gulag, you know, in the winter, Mm-hmm. and there was no vegetation, and you didn't plan ahead of time because you were put there by some government mm-hmm. as an arrest, you know, whatever you could eat, of course, for survival makes sense. Right. But if you look at a true carnivore, which is a cat, mm-hmm. you know, where, they, where they have certain physiologic, you know, um, physiology to deal with handling meat, mm-hmm. and then you look at us, we're completely different. What about things like eggs? Is that also not? So, so I call eggs liquid chicken, you know, (laughs) so it's liquid chicken. It's not good for us. Yeah. You know, eggs are made to grow bigger chickens or roosters or whatever you get from your, your genetic, you know, we see a lot of people with sensitivities to eggs. If you look at like somebody like, um, Dr. Wall and removing eggs from the walls protocol. Yeah. But, but eggs also are, are huge in, in cholesterol and fat, mm-hmm. contributing to obesity, contributing to heart disease, contributing to cerebral vascular issues. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't spare blood vessels. So if your heart's filled with cholesterol, you know all the tiny blood vessels are also struggling. Mm-hmm. So higher risk of stroke, peripheral vascular disease, all that kind of stuff. Again, we've been marketed to mm-hmm. by industry that only makes money if we eat eggs. Yeah, yeah. And there is actual science out there showing eggs, you know, doesn't do a body good mm-hmm. and in fact can contribute to diabetes. I mean, it's, 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 it's not good what we're learning. We are learning our nutrition and how we should live our lives through the media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those spin doctors are not real doctors. Yeah. <laughs> um. So speaking of being marketed to, um, the, this whole thing with cannabis and CBD has concerned me. I think I shared with you that I'm teaching a class and we'll be doing more of it. And I'm, I really don't know that much about cannabis yet. I know more than a lot of people and because I've been studying so hard. And my biggest concern is, is the dangers involved with just it being the Wild West and um, with products being out there. Who knows what's really in it? and um, misusing and also just financially being taken advantage of because people are just not understanding enough. So I wanted to, to get your take on that. So um, just a little, I'm going to take a step backward real quick. Yeah. And say 2013, my eyes then were open to understanding cannabis as a medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing a deep dive research regarding that lie as well. And, you know, unfortunately up until 1941, Cannabis was actually in our U.S. pharmacopoeia. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. He probably actually compounded, um, you know, some elixirs or some tinctures for mm-hmm. patients. I'm imagining, you yeah. know, 
But it wasn't until prohibition in 1941 when alcohol came off prohibition, I guess the the feds needed a job security and then (laughs) started a a whole new prohibition. Um, Did cannabis be taken out of that? And, and, And part of that marketing schema was that it was no longer called cannabis. It was called marijuana. Right. And there for a whole bunch of reasons that is beyond the scope of, of this conversation, but I would like your listeners to um, look at a book called um, Up in Smoke. I'm sorry, Smoke Signals. No, Up in Smoke was teaching John. Smoke Signals <laughs> by Martin Lee, who's a wonderful, wonderful journalist. Yeah. And Martin Lee actually um, looks at the, the, the social rationale behind the vilification of cannabis. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Once you once you get beyond um, that and understand that cannabis is a medicine mm-hmm. and that sadly that prohibition um, really created a bunch of problems for us all in our knowledge base mm-hmm. and the ability for our, our, our people to get educated regarding it. You know, did we even know the, about the endocannabinoid system in 1941? We did not. So... In 1941, we didn't have that understanding. The, the elements of the endocannabinoid system really weren't discovered until the late 80s, early 90s wow. by a bunch of really, really smart scientists that in the 1940s started all of their research, believe it or not. In fact, CBD was characterized in the U.S. in the 1940s. And then in Israel in the 1960s, they characterized THC and they started doing research collaboratively, by the way, funded by NIH, <laughs> so out of our tax dollars, just wow. not in our country or not mostly in our country, looking and trying to understand this. But the weird thing I find is that I understand things evolve, mm-hmm. you know, of course, um, why isn't it now being embraced in nursing schools and medical schools? Because to this day, less than 14% of medical schools even teach the endocannabinoid system. The endocannabinoid system is our own system within our own bodies. It's a real life biologic system. Mm -hmm. And its purpose is to basically govern all of our other biologic systems. In fact, life as we know it, would not exist if we did not have an intact endocannabinoid system. So when you say govern our other systems, are you saying like our thyroid or our uh, endocrinology or? Yeah, all of the above. It is, which is why people, and, and, and it's literally no different than other sort of plant medicines. Mm-hmm. You know, plants is not a single drug, single target. Right. Cannabinoids and cannabis is not a single drug. There's over 400 different chemicals in the plant. Mm-hmm. About 100 or so are, are um, specific to the cannabis plant. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are found in plants from all over the, you know, the plant kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they all work cooperatively together in this balancing act, with working within our entire bodies called the endocannabinoid system. So endo comes from the word endogenous. Yeah. Cannabinoid comes from the word cannabis or cannabis-like chemicals that our body actually makes. Mm-hmm. And plant chemicals interact with our own bodies in, you know, endogenous system 
to try to balance um, and, and provide health benefits. It, it sounds a lot like food. What I think of is the way food works. Is that accurate or similar? And, and that's how I really was blessed to start. I like to liken it as a grayscale. So I started understanding how plants, how whole food, all plant, no added oil, no processed foods, interact with our body's biologic systems to improve us, mm-hmm. to make us healthy, to provide a foundation. And then when that foundation still needs a little help, Mm-hmm. Herbal medicine is the next step because it's natural and the risk-benefit ratio is, is generally a lot kinder and gentler than a, an isolated single molecule. Mm-hmm. And cannabis fits in that sort of therapeutic pyramid. All right. So how, do, how what, where would your first step be to bring cannabis into the picture? So um, it depends on what we're treating. Okay. This is a medicine. It's a potent medicine. Just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's not used with caution. I mean, foxglove. It's not like broccoli. It's not like a, a vegetable that would eat. It's a, it's a neurochemical and it, it interacts with neurochemistry for sure. As does food, but in a different way. Okay. But, um, you know, digitalis comes from the foxglove plant. You wouldn't just, you know, consume that without concern. You know, cocaine is naturally occurring. We wouldn't want to recommend doing that without, you know, some guidance and specific rationale behind it. Mm -hmm. So um, it depends on the patient and depends on what their disease process is. It depends upon the goals and benchmarks. So um, for everyone that I treat, I make them change their diet or or I don't take care of them because without an internal milieu of being as ready as it can be to mm-hmm. then have other, you know, potent medicines being introduced. I think one, you're ending up using a lot more medicine. Mm-hmm. You, you probably aren't getting the maximum benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And it's expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I change everyone's diet before I do anything. And then we def- we sit together and we define what is it that we're trying to help? Mm-hmm. What are our goals? What are the metrics for measuring those goals? Mm-hmm. So everybody's different. But in cannabis medicine, because our endocannabinoid system is a balancing act mm-hmm. and it's our only neurochemical so far that we know, so as of you know December 2019 and the knowledge <laughs> that we know now, it's the only neurochemical that actually is made on demand, Mm -hmm. used locally, it's rapidly broken down, Mm -hmm. and it's not stored. Okay. Because of that, and it's such an important thing, I recommend teeny tiny amounts, I like to call it a microdose, um, of of cannabis medicine Mm -hmm. so that uh, it can activate the endocannabinoid system. We can slowly titrate it up. Now, when you provide cannabis or recommend cannabis, do you have the, or do we just as in science have the ability to, uh, what's the uh, designer, <laughs> like have, have certain cannabinoids, more of uh, one cannabinoid? Because I know there's many in right. terpenes and all of the different cannabinoids. Can you get a plant or process that, that, um, 
CBD or that um, hemp oil. I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but can you so, so it to the so, Yeah, so it's hard because this was the one of the negative adverse effects or the negative side effect of prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this is still federally illegal. Right. And that it's only because of states' rights and robust, highly legal, legislated, and regulated programs do patients even have access? And so depending upon your geography mm-hmm. and, and maybe even your job will determine whether or not you even have access. Right. Yes. And, and to me, it's a human rights issue. And it makes me so incredibly angry mm-hmm. that, that this medicine isn't federally legal because it would then allow for prohibition obviously to be lifted mm-hmm. to have it being regulated to answer your prior question to then make sure that patients have access to safe medicine right and make sure that patients have access to medicine that's tested mm-hmm. that's quantified that's standardized so that if something works for them they can go back and have it repeatable yeah yeah and this is sort of uh, um, the horrible thing about about this prohibition is that you know, Patients getting getting taken advantage of. Maybe they're buying medicines that don't have anything in it. Maybe yeah. buying medicines that have pesticides or heavy metals in it. Yeah. So this is this is the problem. And the biggest problem I have with this is that in 2003, our U.S. government has a patent mm-hmm. on cannabinoids as a anti-inflammatory and neuroprotectant. Wow. Okay. This is. 2019. Mm-hmm. Wow. If our government knows this, why don't we have global access? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't get it. Think about it. If you, um, if a patient has a stroke, mm-hmm. right, and they have an area, a discrete area that was injured, unfortunately, that's not the only area that gets injured because as the, the cells die and mm-hmm. spills, the contents and the chemicals that are contained within a cell and it, that like the ripple effects or like when you drop the cell, yeah. right? it yeah. injures other cells and other cells and other cells. And so actually that stroke that could have been very narrow yeah. actually gets extended. It's called the penumbra. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. There is actually no drug to prevent that penumbra. Mm-hmm. Cannabis could be that drug. Wow. Could you imagine since 2003, the government that we've paid for has a patent and we don't have access to this? It's insane. And I think it's it's this reefer madness fear that cannabis equals inhalation and getting getting stoned, getting intoxicated. And and, And that's not cannabis medicine. Right. You know, and cannabis medicine requires all of the things, all of the constituents, so that you need less of them. Right. You know, and none of the patients that I talk with and help get stoned or get high or get intoxicated. Why? You need the receptors in the brain. Yes. So we do have receptors in our brain that interact with the cannabis plant is evidenced by the reason why people have wanted to inhale this forever, right? Mm-hmm. 
but you, and then you need the drug to sit on those receptors, mm-hmm. but you need enough of that drug to sit on those receptors. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a lot of that drug sitting on those receptors, you're not going to feel intoxicated. So if, so with the CBD, if it's under 0.3, so yeah. and it's, it, is it still giving you the entourage effect that you're talking about if it has that? Good. Sure. It, it, CBD with 0.3 or less of THC, and it's not milligram, it's percent, which yeah. is any time, may be enough for certain people for certain indications. Yeah. And the reason why CBD is so popular is because, you know, the WHO just came out with a paper saying, you know, there's no adverse effects, there's no um, chances of, or the, the reduction of adverse effects, there's no chances for addiction, there's, so there's a, lot of, a lot of positive, mm-hmm. that doesn't make it a panacea. Yeah, yeah. And all it does is sort of open the door to understand that if you are one of people that can actually respond to this, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Not still all of the cannabinoids from the plant and the terpenes and the flavonoids and all of the other things that are found in that plant, we actually should have access to. Right, right. We're paying for the research. We should have access to it. Yeah. It's such a fascinating field. Um, I, I want to honor your time. We're, we're over our 20 minutes. I promised you we would keep, uh, keep under. And we could talk forever. You know, I have so many questions. But I think this has been a really good start for me. I feel a lot more confident knowing, you know, what you've taught me so far and helping to um, introduce people and let them, you know, uh, understand um, the, the foundation, the background. So I'm so appreciative of your time and um, all the work you've done. Um, and, and I'm appreciative of, of you and your time and the work that you're doing. And, you know, you learn and then you teach. You know, sort of the medical adage of, you know, watch one, do one, teach one. Yeah. And, and so brava that you are embracing this because and, and doing these types of podcasts for educational purposes because it's so important because there is no traditional educational platform yet. And I'm hoping as more and more states recognize the same things that we've recognized that actually this is a pretty potent medication mm-hmm. you know, used carefully that, you know, hopefully the federal government will say, you know what, you're right. Mm-hmm. We can, we can open up our, our doors and stop this prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, because prohibition does no one any good, right? Hence right. that vaping, that vaping issue. Yeah. I like the vaping issue. That's a that comes out of not because of cannabis. It comes out of the fact that it's you know we're we're not regulating it, we're not studying it, we're not understanding it. You know, people think that I mean the acetate is okay. Well, maybe not so much for smoking. Right. Maybe right. only for eating. Well, I think the prohibition just encourages those kinds of things from, to happen because it, it all goes black market and there's people don't even want to talk about it anymore. So the fact that we're talking about it is... Exactly. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for doing this and taking your time and, and resources that can be used elsewhere and generating, you know, focusing it here. I think it's great. Thank well, you so much. Dr. Kimless, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. And if you want to continue a 2.0, I'm here for you. Awesome. I would love to, um, you know,